Welcome to the Bulgarian History Podcast, Episode 87, The First Ternovo Uprising. Now first, a quick thanks to Alexander Bukhev for his donation, and to anyone else who's even just thinking about uh, becoming a Patreon supporter or just sending something directly via PayPal, which you can do if that's what you prefer. But in any case, there are some great benefits, and even if you just send something over PayPal, I'll still share the History of Bonsko miniseries, I'll still share all the episode transcripts, so really if you ever want to go back, if you want to check something... All that information is there. I mean, at this point, those episode transcripts are the size of a book. So it's a, it's a lot to, to check out. And as always, if you're curious about something, if you have a suggestion, if you think there's something you'd really love more from the podcast that might be a good uh, benefit for Patreon supporters, get in touch. So getting into it then. Last time, the long Turkish war between the Austrian Habsburgs and the Ottomans really heated up as Moldavia, Transylvania, and Wallachia all rose up against the Ottomans, together with the Christian populations of Herzegovina and parts of Serbia, Montenegro, Macedonia, and Albania. Though the Ottomans put down the revolt in Banat, Macedonia, and Albania, the fires are still burning in Serbia and Montenegro. In Moldavia, Aaron the Tyrant was overthrown by one of his commanders, who was then overthrown by Poland, who then defeated the Ottomans. And, well, long story short, Moldavia is now out of the war and a vassal of both Poland and the Ottomans. But Wallachia, under Michael the Brave, managed to defeat a huge Ottoman army and push them back into the Danube. In Hungary, the Ottomans nearly lost their sultan to an Austrian and Transylvanian army, but pulled victory out at the very last moment. And so, the war drags on. Now, as the year 1597 dawns, that war is far from decided. But hope still lives on throughout the Balkans, as the leaders of the various uprisings desperately seek aid, feeling that victory is finally possible against the Ottomans. In that spirit, two Serbian monks met the Pope and requested an army to be sent to Herzegnovi, which is now in Montenegro, to aid the Serbs against the Ottomans, promising in turn to pledge loyalty to the Pope. Now, my best guess is that they meant that they would well, remain Orthodox, but recognize the primacy of the Pope. Also, there was the Archbishop of Ohrid, who had fled to the Pope after the failure of his particular uprising. But Pope, papal kind of support or not, these uprisings were steadily failing. Sometime in early 1597, the Herzegovinian tribes were defeated by the Ottomans at Gatachko Pole in southern Herzegovina near Montenegro. Around that same time, two things really became clear. First, the Pope was not going to be sending an army to aid any of the anti-Ottoman rebels. And second, that the Austrian forces would not be able to aid them either. 
a 20th century Serbian historian summed up the situation as follows. Quote, the rebels were challenged before any real action could be realized. Austria was not able to move towards Buda, let alone Bosnia or Serbia. The papal curia did not choose to aid the rebels, and Spain had their own problems. The diplomats, various adventurers, though well-meaning, were amateurs and had wrongfully and colorfully painted the picture to both sides. To some, they promised more than they would do, and to others, they presented opportunities as being more mature than they were. Many false reports were made. The rebels naively thought that the messages and promises they received would be, give them greater success than they had. The only lesson learnt for them was to be more cautious. The Ottomans, occupied in Hungary, Croatia, and the coast, were willing to somewhat leave them alone for the moment being. At this time, none of the prominent leaders in the Ottoman Serb regions were hurt. End quote. So that gives a nice kind of summary of what was really going on and the critical role that these amateur diplomats played in this whole situation in making overly optimistic promises to all sides, leading to all sides being disappointed in the end. Meanwhile, from late 1596 into early 1597, Michael the Brave of Wallachia had been trying to hard to kind of muster his own forces and allies against the Ottomans. However, with Moldavia out of the war and no support from Emperor Rudolf II of the Habsburgs, there was really little he could do. Now, surprisingly, at some point during this year, the Ottomans actually recognized Wallachia's independence from them. However, Michael suspected that this was only an attempt to buy themselves time to placate the Wallachians so they wouldn't cause more trouble until the Ottomans could turn and focus on them after defeating the Habsburgs. But Michael was not about to simply wait for events to change. In fact, during 1597, he was negotiating with the Archbishop of Turnival, the ruler of Nicopolis, and two Dubrovnik merchants for an invasion accompanied by a massive Bulgarian uprising the next year. But for the moment, these were only plans. Now, the Voivode of Transylvania, Sigismund Bathory, was for his part feeling that his efforts to fight the Ottomans had not brought him the success he wanted. So, in the final days of the year, he actually agreed to abdicate and grant the Austrian Habsburg Emperor Rudolf control of Transylvania in exchange for money and land in Silesia. Ultimately, with all this taken together, 1597 was a fairly quiet year. Most of the rebellions fizzled out, and disunity amongst the vassal states and the Habsburgs prevented any major actions from them. The Ottomans, for their part, were somewhat distracted when Constantinople was hit by a devastating plague, which killed 16 of Murad III's 28 daughters and one of his consorts, as well as at least one of his sons. So, at the dawn of 1598, yet again the fate of these wars and uprisings all seemed to hang in the balance. Despite the best efforts by the Ottoman government, although they seemed to have gained the upper hand, they had not won. In the first months of 1598, Sigismund Bathory's cousin, a Polish lord, tried to convince him to hand Transylvania over to Poland, not being aware that he had already made an agreement with the Habsburgs. So, 
Regardless of this, in April of that year, he left Transylvania and Habsburg officials entered to fully take over the province. However, by August, Sigismund has decided that he didn't really like his new lands in Silesia and returned to reclaim Transylvania. Most of the people and lords there actually agreed to this, except for one crucial commander. Then, that September, an Ottoman force invaded from their Hungarian territories, thereby bypassing Wallachia. You can see a map on the website, get an idea of what I'm talking about. And Sigismund attempted to convince the Ottomans to attack the areas which remained loyal to the Habsburgs as opposed to the ones that were loyal to him. But the Ottomans didn't bite. They wanted to retake Transylvania as a whole and weren't really interested in being pawns in his fight with the Habsburgs. As a result, Sigismund was now in a pretty desperate state. He had thrown away the chance of support from either Poland or the Habsburgs, and Wallachia was now planning its own invasion and this whole Bulgarian uprising. So everyone's kind of distracted, there's a lot going on, and Sigismund doesn't have a friend in the world. So he sent envoys to both Poland and the Habsburgs to attempt to negotiate. And from what I can tell, there were no major engagements with the Ottoman army during this time. There were reports of them invading, but no you know, large-scale clashes, so I'm not entirely sure what happened. But, meanwhile, the Ottomans were facing some pretty serious setbacks elsewhere. First, at some point during 1598, the Hungary- Hungarian fortress of Gyur and Komarom, both situated along the Danube, were retaken by Austrian forces. To make matters worse, a rebellion began in Anatolia amongst irregular musket soldiers who were angry over pay, conditions, and their general economic situation, uh, with one of their leaders declaring himself to be the new sultan. Now remember, we've talked before about how inflation stemming from the Spanish Empire and the New World was causing a lot of economic pain throughout the Ottoman Empire at this point, so this is probably a large part of what was causing these problems. Although, Conditions could be affected by a lot of other things. But with these losses in Hungary and this rebellion in Anatolia, by the fall of 1598, Sultan Mehmed was not prepared for a long-planned Bulgarian uprising. Michael the Brave had signed a treaty with Emperor Rudolf and the Habsburgs back in June, giving him financial assistance to fight the Ottomans. So, everything was in place. The Bulgarians were ready to rise up, The money was in hand, Michael the Brave had his allies, he had his soldiers. And so, Michael crossed the Danube in September to lay siege to Nicopolis, and shortly afterwards he took Vidin. Also around this time, around 12,000 men in Turnival rose up and liberated the old Bulgarian capital, declaring someone, we're not entirely sure, possibly the leader of Nicopolis, a man named Theodore Balina, and This person, who claimed to be a descendant of the Shishman dynasty, was declared to be Tsar Shishman III of Bulgaria. And so, the first Turnovo uprising had begun. It seems very promising, right? We've got a new Tsar, we've got support from Michael the Brave, we've got the Habsburgs, everything is in place. However, the regular Ottoman army stepped in and crushed the revolt almost as soon as it began, likely within just months. With the failure of the uprising, around 16,000 Bulgarians fled to Wallachia, and that declared Tsar probably fled to Russia, whoever they were. So what happened? 
Well, we don't have a lot of details, but first and most importantly, it seems that Michael the Brave was unable to provide as much support as he had wished. Perhaps he was too busy laying siege to Nicopolis to travel further south and aid the Bulgarians, or maybe that would have overstretched his supply lines. It's really hard to tell. But I think the most important thing here to remember is that Bulgaria was a core territory of the Ottoman Empire, not a vassal state. It was close to Constantinople, and so Ottoman armies could get there much faster and without the kind of logistical challenges that were present when they're moving armies to places like Wallachia or Hungary. Remember, for them to get to Bulgaria, they don't have to cross any major rivers. They don't have to travel for days and days and days. Even places like Serbia and Montenegro are much farther away. And so, ultimately, it's pretty easy for the Ottoman army to just step in there and crush the uprising. It's an important kind of case where Bulgaria's geography is just so important here. And it really kind of lays out why, say, Moldavia and Wallachia, even Serbia, had such different experiences within the Ottoman Empire than Bulgaria did. And by all accounts, this would seem to have been a, a far more successful uprising than, say, the Banat Uprising. I mean, this had the support of Michael the Brave, right? We saw 12,000 soldiers rising up, uh, fairly substantial numbers. And yet, whereas you know the Ottomans, it took them quite a long time to put down those other uprisings in places like Herzegovina and Serbia, but the Bulgarian one barely lasted. So again, geography plays its major role. But although this uprising lasted such a short time, it is interesting that it shows that, yet again, there was a desire to restore the Bulgarian state. Remember all the way back when we discussed the uprising that created the Second Bulgarian Empire? Yet again, when a people were rising up and could have proclaimed themselves a new state, they could have proclaimed themselves, in this case, maybe part of Wallachia, but instead they declared themselves to be a new Bulgarian Empire. I mean, just the fact that you had a new Tsar Shishman, I mean, frankly, if the Bulgarians wanted support from Michael the Brave, it probably would have made more sense to declare him to be their ruler and say, we'll, we'll join your state if you help us. But they didn't. And I think that really speaks to the kind of power of a Bulgarian sense of identity and how that has still managed to hold on in spite of over a century of Ottoman rule by this point. But regardless... The uprising went nowhere, despite being thoroughly planned in conjunction with Michael the Brave, and, well, now to the aftermath. Around the same time the Ternovo uprising was being crushed, Sigismund changed his mind yet again by November, and invited his first Polish cousin, the one I mentioned before, to come in and take over Transylvania on behalf of Poland. The handover was done in February of 1599, and the cousin, Andrew Bathory, was elected and in full control of the country by March. Now, with Transylvania secured, Andrew aimed to also gain control of Wallachia and Moldavia. Now, clearly, yet again, the Christian forces have gradually become more and more interested in who's going to take power in these lands than in actually defeating or really even fighting the Ottomans. At this point, Transylvania is just becoming a proxy war between Poland and the Austrian Habsburgs. And the Ottomans barely seem involved at this point. But seeing as Poland had worked out an agreement to effectively share control of Moldavia with the Ottomans, 
it's not a stretch to imagine that maybe they could do the same thing in Transylvania and perhaps even Wallachia, should they gain control of it. In fact, that's what the rulers of Transylvania were hoping when they allowed Andrew Bathory to take the reins. That is basically where things stood as 1598 drew to a close. So it's now 1599. The Ottomans have put down all the rebellions in their Balkan provinces and are on their way to finishing up that rebellion in Anatolia. Moldavia is still out of the picture, but having made peace to become a joint vassal of Poland and the Ottomans, that's no surprise. Transylvania is under Polish domination is looking to overthrow Michael the Brave in Wallachia, who, remember, he was still a Habsburg vassal, and so this fight between him and Andrew Bathory is again kind of a proxy war between Poland and the Habsburgs. Michael, for his part, is apparently still laying siege to Nicopolis despite the failure of the accompanying Bulgarian uprising. Now, nothing much happened in the first few months of the year, but by June, there's kind of a shakeup. On June 26th, Michael swears fealty to Andrew, who had wanted him replaced. So again, Michael the Brave of Wallachia is actually agreeing to become a vassal to Andrew Bathory of Transylvania. So it's an interesting kind of a twist there. And on that same day, Michael the Brave made peace with the Ottomans. And so just like that, in a blink of an eye, it seems that Austrian influence amongst all those three vassal states is at an end. Because, although it didn't explicitly say, presumably Andrew is now a Polish and not an Austrian vassal. And so instead of dominating Wallachia, Poland, Wallachia, Moldavia, and Transylvania, the Austrians now seem to have essentially no influence in any of them. With this, Andrew of Bathory immediately begins negotiating peace with the Ottomans on behalf of Transylvania, seeking to really solidify his rule over the vassal states. However, no surprise here, Austrian and Habsburg Emperor Rudolf II is not terribly happy with the situation and encouraged Michael the Brave to actually change his mind, and invade Transylvania. In October, contrary to what Rudolf himself expected, that very thing happened, and Michael the Brave suddenly invaded Transylvania and was joined by the Hungarian settlers, who he promised would have all their traditional rights restored. So again, things are really shaking up. Uh, it seems that Michael the Brave betrayed Poland on behalf of Austria. This Wallachian and Seckler army crossed the Carpathian Mountains and met the Transylvanian army under Andrew Bathory. Now, the Wallachians outnumbered their opponents, but not by much. In the battle, the Wallachians found some initial success before being beaten back by Hungarian cavalry. Bathory had a chance for victory, but hesitated, and shortly afterwards was defeated. Michael the Brave advanced and took the Transylvanian capital as Andrew Bathory was fled and shortly afterwards killed. Michael was now suddenly the ruler of both Wallachia and Transylvania, though still as a Habsburg vassal. Michael then began negotiating with the emperor, asking for more autonomy as a ruler than Rudolf really wanted. Eventually, their disagreements led to a split between the two. So Michael is now no longer an Austrian vassal. But, to be frank, Michael the Brave has a bigger goal at this point. His goal is to conquer Moldavia and create a union of the three former Ottoman vassal states and to create a powerful new state 
that can basically reject domination by the Poles, the Habsburgs, or the Ottomans. So, shortly after conquering Transylvania in February of 1600, Michael the Brave stated that he would become a Polish vassal in exchange for receiving the Moldavian crown. But mm, Poland wasn't interested. And so the invasion came shortly afterwards in April. The Wallachian army quickly took the capital of Yash and nearly captured the Moldavian voivoda Jeremia Movila, who found safety in the Polish-controlled fortress of Chotin. Soon, Michael controlled all of the country except for some small portions that remained under Polish rule, and Movila fled to Poland proper. And so just like that, Michael the Brave was the sole ruler of all three former vassal states. Essentially, if you want to think about it, all the territories that make up modern Romania, which is why, no shock here, Michael the Brave is a revered figure in Romanian history. After all, though, Michael was descended from Vlad II, Tepes. He was a descendant of Stephen the Great. So who better to unite Wallachia and Moldavia? What's remarkable is that the Ottomans appeared to allow all this to go on, which really shows how disconnected and ineffectual Mehmed III was. That there's all this intrigue, all this fighting between the, the Habsburgs and the Poles, and Michael the Brave is uniting everything, and the Ottomans just don't seem to be very engaged in any of it. Now, of course, it's possible that this is a tactic or strategy that, uh, you know, Mehmed is saying, oh, we'll let all of our opponents kill each other and then we'll step in and conquer the spoils. But looking at the rest of Mehmed III's reign and his personality, you don't really get a feel that he was that kind of strategist. But while the Ottomans and Poles weren't very happy about this new power and territory that they wanted to dominate, well, they weren't the only ones who were unhappy. By September of 1600, Hungarian nobles in Transylvania were concerned about Michael's growing power and began a rebellion against him. Now, just to clarify, these were not the Seklers. Those were more the Hungarian peasants of the region who still supported Michael. These were the Hungarian nobles of the region. The 22,000-strong Wallachian army with the Seklers, as well as some Poles and Cossacks, well, they rose up and faced off against a Hungarian noble, an Austrian and local Saxon forces army that had about 30,000. The two forces met in Transylvania, and the battle went well with Wallachian artillery doing some serious damage. But then, the Austrians retreated, tempting the Wallachians from their prepared positions. Once the Wallachians were out in the open, the Hungarian cavalry swept in and made short work of them. Michael and what remained of his army escaped, but Transylvania was lost to the Austrians. Almost immediately, a Polish army invaded Moldavia, retaking it and winning another victory against Michael. Now, in just over a month, he'd gone from being the undisputed ruler of all three regions to barely holding on in Wallachia. But the Poles were unhappy with even that arrangement, and so they pushed their advantage defeating Michael two more times. Ultimately, Michael was forced to flee to Prague and beg Rudolf II for forgiveness in a desperate attempt to regain his position. The Poles reinstalled Jeremia Movila as ruler of Moldavia and Simeon Movila, the great-grandson of Stephen the Great, in charge of Wallachia. But while all this was going on, yet another anti-Ottoman rebellion had burst onto the scene. In the fall of 1600, 
Thessaly and Epirus took up arms against the Ottomans. Essentially, this was the only major region of the European Empire of the Ottomans that hadn't rebelled, and so I guess it was their turn. Similarly to previous rebellions, this one was fed by promises of Habsburg support which fell through and the rebellion was crushed brutally within months. Back in Prague, somehow, Michael the Brave had actually successfully won Rudolf over. Perhaps the Austrian Empire could see that Michael was his best chance of regaining influence in Wallachia and Moldavia from Poland and so he was willing to take a bet on him. So in 1601, Michael the Brave was sent along with an army to go retake all of his former territories. Now, it seems Transylvania and Moldavia had actually realigned themselves towards the Ottomans and were now resisting this invasion based on that. Again, the this little uh, Game of Thrones, if you want to call it that, is just gets more and more complicated. But Transylvania and Moldavia are now thinking, eh, maybe we'll side with the Ottomans against the Poles or the Austrians, in spite of Poland really taking over and dominating the regions. The two sides met in March of 1601. Michael the Brave, along with his Austrian army, was victorious. Elsewhere, the Lachian forces drove the Polish and Ottoman-backed Simeon Movila out of Moldavia. Then, just when victory seemed at hand, Michael the Brave was assassinated. But who would have him killed? Well, besides all the obvious enemies. But it's not who you're thinking. It was Rudolf II. It appears the Austrian emperor had changed his mind about allowing Michael the Brave to retake these territories at the head of his army, and so he himself ordered the man's death. Now, Wallachia had a similar situation to Bulgaria in the past, one we're very familiar with. It had just experienced a remarkable ruler who had quickly expanded its territory before everything fell apart. As a result, the country was exhausted. Now, with Simeon Movila returning to the Wallachian throne, and with him the return of Polish influence in both Wallachia and Moldavia, while the Habsburgs were more or less remaining in control of Transylvania. So that's kind of the new status quo post-Michael the Brave. Meanwhile, it's easy to forget this, the Ottomans and Habsburgs are still fighting in Hungary. The Ottomans had taken the fortress of, ooh boy, I gotta remember my Hungarian here, Nagia Kanica, in 1600, and the Habsburgs had just begun a siege to retake it about a month after Michael's death in September of 1601. The Habsburgs vastly outnumbered the Ottomans inside the fortress, but made costly mistakes in attacking it. The Ottomans responded by tricking the Habsburgs into thinking their situation was far better than it was. But in reality, by November 1601, they were running low on supplies and in quite bad shape. So they rushed out to attack the Habsburgs. With the Ottomans having planted the idea that reinforcements were coming, the Austrian force panicked and retreated. So it was now 1602. The Ottomans had some influence in Wallachia and Moldavia owing to their understanding with Poland, and the Habsburgs controlled Transylvania. Neither side was making much progress against the other in the aptly named Long Turkish War, as the war dragged on for its ninth year. Importantly, though, Poland had found itself at war with Sweden, beginning in 1600, and so its focus was largely taken away from this region for the moment, leaving a great opening for either the Habsburgs or the Ottomans to step in. The result of this was that in 1602, the
the Ottomans managed to replace the ruler of Wallachia with one more pliant to their wishes, Radu Sherban. Still, the Poles held on to their preferred candidate and their influence in Moldavia. It seemed the Ottomans were finally taking some initiative, but nothing much of importance happened in 1602, so 1603 dawned and, well, things were about to shake up a little bit. Remember the Seklers, the Hungarian peasants of Transylvania who supported Michael the Brave against the Hungarian nobles and the Habsburgs? Well, one of their leaders, Moses Sekli, began a rebellion against the Habsburgs in Transylvania with Ottoman support, declaring himself to be the new Prince of Transylvania. It seems Ottoman influence in the region was coming back rather quickly. However, despite the fact that Hibian put on the throne with Ottoman support, the Voivoda of Wallachia, Radu Sherban, did not like the idea of being caught between the Ottomans and a pro-Ottoman force in Transylvania. So it was now Wallachia and the Habsburgs against local Transylvanian forces, as Radu basically said, uh, we're not allowing this guy to rise up in Transylvania. He wanted to maintain Austrian control there. The ensuing invasion was over fairly quickly. The Wallachian-led army defeated the Transylvanians, while Moses Sekli was captured and killed. Radu Sherban took control of the territory, creating a temporary fear that he might attempt to follow in the footsteps of Michael the Brave and unite all three of the territories. However, by 6 September of 1603, he gave control of Transylvania back to the Habsburgs. Then, just as 1603 was coming to an end, Mehmet III died of natural causes on December 22nd. He was just 37 years old. His youngest son, Ahmed, became Sultan Ahmed I. But the boy was just 13. So now, it remains to be seen where things will turn. It seems that the fate of the Balkans and the Ottoman vassal states has been hanging in the balance for the better part of a decade, and well, that doesn't look likely to change. The long and indecisive war drags on and on and on. And, well, it's hard to predict just who will emerge from the ashes. Next time, we'll see the final conclusion of the long Turkish war. In addition, conflict will return to the Ottoman Eastern Front as the Safavids come looking for revenge. And we'll learn just what role Wallachia, Moldavia, and Transylvania will make for themselves in this ever-changing world. In other words, don't miss it. This episode was written and produced by me, Eric Halsey. The theme music was written and performed by Teddy Raven. You can check out the Bulgarian language version of the podcast, as well as all kinds of kind of tools for this episode. You can find a list of major characters. You can find a timeline, images, all that kind of stuff at bghistorypodcast.com. So check it out and enjoy, and I'll see you in the next one.